for episode 436 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age, and the very first episode of season one. Yes, my friends, 436 episodes into this thing, and we are taking it seasonally. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free, free, my favorite four-letter word ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that for free at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio, where you will also find several links to the much-o-beloved author, poet, and witch, Lisa Marie Basile, who is today's very special guest. I brought her back on the show. This is her second time on the Hippie Witch Podcast, and she's here today to talk about the magical writing grimoire, her new book. And what I love about it is it is a book that you do. I'm a huge book nerd. I love books of all kinds. I love witchy fiction. I love nonfiction. But my favorite books might be books that you can do. I get really into it. And what I mean by that is a book that is laid out like a program so that you start it feeling one way about yourself, about your life, and you end it having had some kind of transformation and feeling another way about yourself and your life. I know a lot of you at the top of the year kicked off 2020 with Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. That is a book that you do. There are the daily morning pages. There is the weekly artist date, which I love. I love both of those. I loved when I did The Artist Way. I loved the morning pages. That practice really evolved for me into something much bigger than I thought originally it would be. I still, I get up at five o'clock in the morning to write every day because of the morning pages. And then the artist date was surprising. A lot of really cool insights came of taking myself on a solo artist date once a week. It was very challenging to make the time for that as well, but it's laid out like a program as also so that every week for 12 weeks, there is a little chapter that you read and then there are exercises that you do, journal prompts and things like that. So Many people say that The Artist Way is a transformational journey. It was life-changing for me. And to me, that's because it's a thoughtful, brilliant book that you do. And another one that comes to mind is it's not really laid out like a program. It is called Life. What here? Where did, where is my copy? Life-changing magic. Spark joy every day. It is a little journal that I think I just got on an impulse, 
by Marie Kondo. It's like a spinoff of the life-changing magic of tidying up, which I talked about last week. I wish that this journal went on and on and on forever. Each page of this journal has three entries so that it traces three years, basically. So it's like 365 entries for one year, and then you go back to the beginning, and then you do the second year, and then you go back to the beginning, and you do the third year. I used it as mainly a gratitude journal. I would either use the little entry to write what I was grateful for that day or something that I experienced that was cool, that I want to remember, And what I have found now that I'm on year three, anytime I go to do an entry at the end of the day, I I can just look on that same page and see where I was that day in 2019 and where I was that day in 2018. And it has had this incredible effect of looking back on my life with rose-colored glasses. I see how much I have to be grateful for. I see how many amazing experiences that I've had in the last few years. But it also, too, shows me the growth that I've experienced. So everything in this journal for me is framed as gratitude. But I still would talk about like, ooh, I did this scary thing today or this challenge happened and I overcame it. So it's a chance to look back on those moments. And I'm really looking now for a journal for when 2020 is over that I can do this again. I would love it if it was like 10 years. Maybe I'll make my own (laughs) because I would love to do a whole decade like that. You know, so you can really see where was I on this day this year. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating process. And then another book that you can do that I'm excited about right now is Christopher Penzak's The Inner Temple of Witchcraft. I said this last week. I feel like I need to say it all month long in the newsletter, on social media, here on the podcast, so that you all get that this is happening. Those of us that hang out, well, everybody, everybody that is hanging out, with me on Patreon, we'll get to experience a little bit of this, but specifically for the Brave tier, it's a $5 tier on Patreon. We are going to do the entire experience of the Inner Temple of Witchcraft together for more than a year. It'll take us through more than a year because there are 13 lessons. And even before you get to the first lesson, there are four chapters. So the way that the Brave tier works is you get the first piece of content at the top of the month, which is for everyone. So you can join me on Patreon for a dollar a month. If you join me for a dollar a month, you get at least one piece of content. It's usually a video at the top of the month. And then the Brave tier gets one podcast the weekend after that. And then I send out a survey with that so you all can comment on whatever topic that I was talking about in that podcast, give your feedback, ask your questions, and then there's a follow-up podcast that is really just based on you all, like who fills out the survey and how that takes shape. So that's the Brave tier. So I'm going to use that to do the Inner Temple of Witchcraft. A lot of people are doing this, and I'm excited I really want to keep emphasizing it now so that nobody comes at me later and like, ah, 
I missed the boat. You can hop on anytime. You can do the inner temple of witchcraft on your own as well. The reason that I want to revisit this is I did my first year and a day self-initiating as a witch using Christopher Penzak's The Inner Temple of Witchcraft and Marion Green's A Witch Alone. What I love about The Inner Temple of Witchcraft is I kind of knew everything in this book already because I was a new agey seeker. I had explored a lot around meditation, guided visualizations, chakras, auras, automatic writing. All those things are in this book. But what it did for me is it gave it a framework and it put it in the context of witchcraft. And for me, that gave me permission to call myself a witch. I love it as well just for anybody who's witch curious because it creates a foundation for you to have the basics to be able to do magic and to live a witchy life. He's got, this is a whole series that he did, but to me, this book stands alone. I think it's really awesome. I have my thumb in a page right now to a section called Personal Freedom that I just want to read a little piece to you. So much of this book still resonates to me. I went flipping through it and the parts that I've highlighted, highlighted, I'm like, yes, yes, I still feel that way. And this is the part that really jumped out at me. And I have it like super circled and bright yellow highlighter with squiggly marks everywhere and pink ink double highlighted. (laughs) So I thought, I'll just read that. I'll just read that because it's awesome. This is how I feel about being a witch. Witches seek freedom from dogma, the freedom to personally delve into the mysteries of the divine and find our own answers. Our Bible is the cycle of seasons. Our songs are the songs of the earth. Magic is used because it works, as is meditation and psychic abilities. We don't need to believe blindly because we are guided by experience. Witches don't simply believe We do. See what I did there? Coming full circle to books that you do. Books that you do. (laughs) Books that you do. Oh, gee, you know what? I was going to roll right into this interview. But speaking of Patreon, I have to thank the amazing people that have joined me over on Patreon, especially those of you at the Witchy Writer's Journey tier. I sent out a newsletter right after this moment. I shared the first three chapters of my novel with the Witchy Writer's Journey tier. It's a special podcast that I do. It's a $10 tier. It's pricier than the other tiers. It's for people that really, really want to go on this journey with me as I pursue my dreams of becoming a traditionally published author of witchy fiction. And I really appreciate those of you who have been on that journey throughout the whole thing, like from the very beginning, because you really didn't have much to go on. You're just listening to me talk about my journey. And it was really fun to finally be able to be like, here are some pages. Here are the first three chapters. And the feedback was so amazing and uplifted and uplifting. I feel so supportive. But I also, right when I hit publish on that, I was filled with physical, vibrating 
anxiety. I don't know. My, my palms were ice cold, but I was sweating profusely and my heart was pounding in my ears like a drum. And I'm not saying any of this to exaggerate. This is literally what was happening and I couldn't swallow. <laughs> and I, you may have heard me talk in the past about having anxiety and overcoming anxiety. When I say I overcame anxiety and depression, anxiety and depression, those that pendulum swinging back and forth between those two things it was a way of life for me. And it scared me and I hid. I hid. I hid out at home because I didn't know how to cope. I couldn't cope with it. And... That is what I overcame, the daily experience of that. I learned to balance out my chemistry using diet and amino acids and, you know, all the things that I talk about here on the show psycho-spiritually. But if I am having a heightened experience, like going into divorce court when I actually had to go in physically to a hearing in front of the judge, it was like this for me too. Or if I have to, I'll often talk about like making scary phone calls because making scary phone calls (laughs) is something that brings this up for me. In any of these cases, if I'm having a heightened experience like that, I will have a full-blown, melodramatic, physical experience like I just described with the freezing cold hands and sweating profusely. If I have to get on stage for something, I love performing. This is the funny thing. Once I'm on stage, I'm having a blast. Like performing with my band was amazing. I loved performing. But each time before I would get on stage, I have to pee. I have to pee, but I just went pee. But I feel like if I don't go pee, I'm going to pee on the stage. It was like a whole thing with me. I'm a person who just experiences those heightened moments in an almost intolerable physical way. And I just wanted to shout that out for those of you who feel that way. Um, And to know that like you can manage that. You can allow yourself to feel that way and do the thing anyway. I sent out when I felt like that. I was like, "Ah." I usually will call someone like I'll call my mom or I'll call my friend Dawn. I'll call somebody and kind of like talk my way through it just to burn off the adrenaline and get myself back to normal. But this time I wrote a newsletter and I described what I was feeling exactly. And I also was just having this heightened experience because I paid over $2,600 in rent. (laughs) And after cutting back my income, $1,000 to $2,000 a month, I cut back my income to make space to pursue this dream of becoming a traditionally published author of witchy fiction. That was a huge, scary sacrifice that I made. And then I had this bill come back with over $2,600 in utilities and rent, and I paid it that same morning that I hit publish on the first three chapters of my book, and I was just... It was such a day. It was such an accomplishment. I'm like, I'm going to share this. I'm going to send out a newsletter about this because if I can do this, if I can feel all these crazy feelings and I can still go through the motions and hit publish and, you know, do the thing, then anybody, anybody can do it. Like, don't let a really intense 
fear reaction or it's just emotion for me too. I can't even say it's fear because I'm not having fear thoughts. It's just the way I'm wired. I think it has something to do possibly with, this is very deep and personal. I know I'm being silly, but my biological dad was missing when my mom was pregnant with me for a time. And then come to find out he had died in a plane crash with his dad. So my dad and my grandfather died in a plane crash. And before that news was broken to the family, they were missing. And that's when my mom was pregnant with me. And so I believe that that set me up for adrenaline rushes and possibly some sort of PTSD chemical reaction just like in the womb that I just came out this way. I've often been told I'm high strung. (laughs) So this is just something that I've learned to manage and deal with. And if I'm going to keep creating the kick-ass life of my dreams, there are many, many more, much scarier things that I want to do. And I'm just embracing that as part of the journey. That's all to say (laughs) that I wanted to thank the new patrons supporting Hippie Witch on the Patreon podcast. You'll see, you'll see what happens if I don't have a script, which I hardly ever, ever have a script. I don't ever have scripts. I have bullet points often, but when I just like go off the rails like that, who knows? Who knows what will come out? Let me thank new patrons. Please forgive me in advance for screwing up your names because I have a feeling that I'm going to be screwing up your names, but I'll try my best. Thank you so much. Henna Raita, Raita, Sarah Flukinger, Abby Ainley, India Ray, Lucy Ann Leberge. Am I saying that correctly? Jamie Pittsford introspectionality introspectionality i love that and renee thank you guys thank you guys for helping me pay over twenty six hundred dollars in rent i'm very very proud of that i don't care if that's inappropriate (laughs) or unprofessional to tell people that this is my journey this is the truth this is where i'm at in my life and it'll be fun as i was saying of that journal to look back on this episode a year from now three years from now and laugh and be like, remember when that was a really big deal when you paid over $2,600 for your rent? Remember how fun and exciting that was? Now look how far you've come. I hope I get to that moment. I certainly hope I get to that moment where looking back that that's funny to me. And uh, so let's just get into this interview, shall we? And I feel like Lisa really doesn't need much of an introduction because whether you follow her on social media or not, or you heard our previous interview here or not, or you've read her books or her poetry or not, you're going to get a sense of who she is as a person within the first five minutes of this interview because she is really open and authentic and articulate. She's an articulate, authentic, open witch. And I just know you're going to love this. So without any further ado, here she is, Lisa Marie Basile. Hi, Lisa. Welcome back. Welcome back to Hippie Witch. Hi, Joanna. Thank you so much for having me again. Yes. For those of you who did not hear, 
back. When was that interview? I don't remember. We did an interview for Light Magic for Dark Times. And that episode is fabulous. And I will definitely link to that in the show notes. Yeah, that was 2017, I think. And yeah, so it's so beautiful to be back and talking to you again. Here we are in 2020 talking about the magical writing grimoire, your new book. Yeah. Yep. It's coming out in April, April 7th. I have to say you're a great tweeter. Your, your Twitter account (laughs) is rad. You do so much promoting there of other creative people, writers specifically, you raise awareness about all kinds of different issues that are close to your heart. And then you do a lot of encouraging of would-be writers, people who dream of being a writer, people who are trying to make it as writers. And you recently had some rant on there about book promotion. Yes. (laughs) That's what we're doing today. Shameless book promotion. (laughs) Exactly. I love Twitter. A lot of people find it problematic because so many people fight on Twitter and there's so much anger and negativity. But I think... You know, I found this lovely writer's community on Twitter and I couldn't be happier and more grateful for it. So I try to keep my opinions helpful, somewhat positive, but I can get a little saucy sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think Twitter of all the platforms is the easiest to navigate around negativity, actually, because it's it's a highly customizable experience, as I always say, if, if you want to get into that. But... Uh, the writing community is specifically awesome and you're definitely a part of that. So let's just tell people what's coming up in April. I like the subtitle, use your word as your wand for magic, manifestation, and ritual. Thank you. Yeah. So the Magical Writing Grimoire is, it's a book of writing prompts and rituals that encourage us to use writing as, you know, a magical tool to make magic itself. So it's not just about using the occult to generate creativity. Actually, it centers the writing as the magic itself. So using writing to write a letter, to write a letter to the self, to dream journal, to uh, just write an incantation, write your own rituals. So you're just using writing as a way of creating magic and making your life better. The book heavily focuses on um, healing and trauma recovery, manifestation, so making things happen in your life, and mindfulness and being present and being intuitive and tapped into your own power. So yeah, it it covers a lot of ground, but unlike Light Magic for Dark Times, it's way more in-depth, way heavier, and the rituals are much longer and there's a lot of uh, exploration of different practices rather than um, like, like magic was sort of a spell per page. So this is a lot more in depth. Yeah. And it's more focused on one specific subject. Exactly. Exactly. I have a question. Yeah. From your perspective, what is the difference between magic and manifestation? Because that's part of the subtitle that just caught my attention because a lot of people use those two words interchangeably. And I'm wondering, is there a distinction for you or did you just want to like cover all ground because some people resonate more with one than the other? 
That's such a great question. And I'll give you the, the personal answer and the, and the real answer. Um, okay. <laughs> the real answer is, I might get in trouble for saying this, but the real answer is authors sometimes have very little control over titles and subtitles. Sadly, many publishers generate subtitles and titles based on algorithm. So that words kind of hit everything a searcher might be searching. Mm. So that's a reason you might see like repetitive words in subtitles or something that just doesn't totally sound clear. For me, I think manifestation is a form of magic. And I find that magic is in itself a manifestation of whatever is to come next or come from a ritual or a spell, um, be that like an internal change or an external result. So that's the kind of long and short of my answer. Mm. So uh, magic is the process. Manifestation is the product. Absolutely. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. That resonates with me. I, I do. I am a person that will use them interchangeably depending on the crowd, depending on who I'm talking to, because some people are more receptive to one than the other. <laughs> and I'm sneaky like that. No, it's such a good point, Joanna. There are people that won't exactly tap into the word magic, but they're happy to use manifestation. I find that it's the difference between the sort of new age wellness crowd and the witches among us. Yeah. Um, but in my book, manifestation isn't like, uh, I'm just going to say it doesn't feel like Gwyneth Paltrow. It feels more like visualizing and using your words to kind of create a better life for yourself. So I'm not promising anyone $10,000. I'm not trying to peddle snake oil fantasies. Mm -hmm. So my manifestation chapter is a little more personal and about living a beautiful life that makes room for abundance, but isn't like separate or divorced from reality. What you create too, with your words, with what anybody creates with their words, if they're writing a poem or a short story is really I love it because it's an instant manifestation. I can sit down, I can write and express myself and right there in front of me is the manifestation on the page, regardless of what the world thinks of it or if the world ever even gets to see it. And yeah. I, I love that instant, instant magic. It's like right there, I'm having an experience and then I have something to show for it, for myself. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. It's it's like this idea of making, um, creating something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not out of nothing. It's out of you, you know? It's yeah, like, exactly. I mean, you don't have, maybe you have a piece of paper and pen or a keyboard, whatever you're working with, but it's such a beautiful way to find out what is inside of you, particularly if you don't know. Right, that's such a good point. It's it's sort yeah you're right. It's sort of like um an excavating from the deep vessel of the self. Yeah, there's a little there I that I could see on Amazon. There's not a preview for your book. It's not yet, yet. not yet. Um, but there are some. What do you call that? There are like little screenshots of pictures of the pages. Exactly. And two things hopped out at me. One, I'm so excited that this is another illustrated book. I love that trend in the publishing world, specifically in 
in the witchy publishing world. I just think it adds another dimension and makes the book a little bit more special. And I'm a big fan of books that you can hold in your hand. I'm not really an e-reader. So to me, that makes it even more compelling to get the physical copy when it's that beautiful inside. But also the piece that you shared about you are nature. I'm totally just picking this out of my memory. So forgive me for butchering it a little bit, but you were talking to people through this kind of, it's like a guided meditation. I don't know if that's your intention, but you're talking about reflections and being a part of the earth and the sky and this whole thing. And I was like, there she is. (laughs) This is the poet, Lisa Marie Basile right here. And she's going to teach you magic. That's so sweet of you. Yeah. Each chapter opens with a guided meditation. One can take it as a guided meditation. One can take it as a poem of like a a poem journey. Um, I wanted to make sure the book had little glimpses of poetry everywhere and that that poetry kind of spoke to the reader in some way that could help them or guide them. The book heavily embraces nature. A lot of the illustrations are based in nature and a lot of the meditations and poetry pieces here and there are based in nature because I wanted there to be a sense of growth, of just blooming and growing and growing into who you are and kind of nourishing and creating a garden of yourself through your own words. So that's the through line there. Um, That is so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That is so beautiful. At some point I saw too, I don't know where I saw this, but you mentioned wordcraft, wordcraft practice. And I believe that's what you are helping people establish with this book. And I'm such a book nerd. I'm such a word nerd. I'm a writer. I'm just like, wordcraft, yes, let us all begin our wordcraft practice. (laughs) I love that. The book was originally supposed to be called Wordcraft Witchery. Mm. And it was called that for the longest time. And I loved it. But they, they changed the title. So I still love this title. I love the word grimoire. I love the word writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, the, yeah, the book still mentions wordcraft. It's, it's word witchcraft. It's, it's beyond that. It's bigger than that, I think. It's more just writing is, is itself a form of magic outside of anyone's spiritual or religious practice. So you can use a book if you're an atheist or if you're a witch and I hope they do because yeah. it's formed by the witch and I love the witches. So, but you can embrace it, embrace witchcraft. I mean, wordcraft. I like the word craft because it implies that this is something that you can develop through practice. This is a, a skill that, that you can hone by practicing it and that is, you're a wonderful writer. I'm not going to obsess on that like I did in the first episode we did. People can go back and listen to that. I believe I, I made you sit there while I read your words back to you because I was so excited about your poetry, which is exceptional. And I think that's rare. But Very sweet of you. being a writer of your caliber, I am sure you have an awareness that You can be born a poet, you can be born a writer, but there's still a developmental process that takes place. And I love that the word craft implies that. Oh, yeah, totally. I think, oh my God, I 
I, yeah, if you read any of my work from like 10 years ago, oh boy, it would just, it's just, it, it needed work. It needed, yeah, it's a craft. It needed work. You, it's, it's hard to find your voice. It's hard to find your voice in a sea of voices. It's hard to differentiate what you should be writing from what you want to write. And this book kind of like, it, it's important to me that the readers feel like the work that they're creating in from the book is personal and ritualized and of the self and it doesn't need to be shared. But at the same time, if writers come away with something beautiful that they've written, like an essay or a poem, I would love to see those pieces of writing too. But yeah, everyone gets better over time and it's sometimes hit or miss and that's kind of the beauty of it. You know? It's funny that you use the word personal too, because I've had that at the top of my brain wanting to talk to you because your brand is very personal. And I think we're in the era of the personal brand mm-hmm. and the way that you've spoken about being raised in the foster system or mm-hmm. having this autoimmune condition that I will never be able to pronounce. Even when I'm staring <laughs> at it, I'm like, yeah. I'm not even going to try because I'm going to embarrass myself for sure. <laughs> Unpronounceable autoimmune condition. Like you get really specific and talk about what you're passionate about and what's personal to you. And then it becomes relatable to everyone because it's authentic and you're sharing genuinely from that place. And I assume that's what you're encouraging in people when, when they're exploring this word craft this practice that you're introducing them to, whether it's for themselves or they hope one day to, you know, share their work with other people. Yeah. I think, you know, if people are comfortable being vulnerable and honest about their pasts or their memories, I think that's wonderful because I'm a big believer in just speaking those sort of like traumas aloud because then they don't have such a stigma, stigma, grief, trauma, shamey, nastiness attachment on you, they kind of become like, they're your story now. You own it. You reclaimed that narrative. It's not like your big, weird secret that you feel shameful about. Because for a long time, foster care was that for me. It was like, I'm different. I'm a weirdo. I'm like somehow dirty. I'm an extension of the situation that got me into foster care. And that's not true. It's like, I'm resilient. I'm compassionate because of it. So I want to take that kind of personal experience and give the readers an opportunity to reclaim their own story. And if that means getting vulnerable with the self, that's great. Or if it means taking it and sharing it with the world, I super, super encourage them to do that. I think I put a hashtag in the book. So if they ever want to share anything, they can share it under the hashtag. And I'm encouraging people if they want when they read the book to submit it to submit any sort of writing that they want to my magazine, Luna Luna. So it'll be like kind of a family. From oh, the that's so great. great. We're talking about word nerdery and word craft. You should just pronounce that autoimmune condition. Cause I feel like I just <laughs> left a question in people's mind for people that don't follow you. Okay. Yeah. So it's called ankylosing spondylitis. So ankylosing, I forgot what it means in Greek. It means something like, like spine fusion, which is basically what the disease is. It's a disease in which your vertebrae want to fuse together. So your spine becomes one long rod, but you also get like 
bowel, eye, heart, lung, and other joint inflammation and other problems. So it's like this whole systemic thing. And I write about it a lot because I know a lot of people are suffering from uh, chronic illnesses and autoimmune diseases. And I feel like writing is this one like little sacred place where you can kind of like take back your energy and put all that feelings, all those feelings and all that pain and sometimes loneliness into words. Yeah. And for whatever reason, people are just being diagnosed with these diseases at a rapid rate. So if I can talk about it and kind of create like a family around that, then why not pull it into my ritual practice as well? Mm. I love that you're creating family. That's the second time you said the word family in two different contexts. And as a woman raised in the foster system, I can totally understand why that's important to you and why that, why you've done that, how you've done that. I've seen you do it. I've watched you do it. And I think it's wonderful. You share so generously. Like if somebody does something that you think is beautiful, you're the first one to be like, yes, look at this, read this. Oh, thank you. That's, that's actually, I hadn't put that together somehow, (laughs) but you're right. Like I'm, I guess I'm always just trying to like create a space that I feel at home in. I don't know. I'm a love monster, I guess. Like I have a cancer moon. I'm just like, I just want to be loved and to love others. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't have a cancer moon, but I feel that way also. I love people. Yeah, you do. I mean, you're like the most loving and kind and generous and I just feel like looking at your name when it pops up, I think this is a luminous being. Oh. Just, yeah, no, you 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 change the game. You really are generous of spirit, so diplomatic, so kind, and I have told like a hundred billion people to listen to your podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's a love first. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, gosh, there's so many different ways that we could go with this. I'm interested in trauma recovery and how people can use words for that. We were talking about telling your own story. And something I just wanted to mention in that vein is that you can tell your story repeatedly. You can keep rewriting your story. You get as many drafts as you need to get it right. And, you know, the story I used to tell about myself is nothing like the story that I tell about myself today. And it's been through many different drafts to get to a place where the story I tell about myself is self-loving. And and I think that's part of being a loving person in the world, but you have to, you have to, you know, as they say, write that first shitty draft <laughs> to get to the, to get to the other drafts. You have to see what's there and what you're going to make of it. I'm hope I'm not being too metaphorical no. here for people to get, but I hear what you're saying. And honestly, I think it's, I think coming from someone like you who is so inspirational, it probably is really good for other people to hear that, the perception of the self and like how you orient yourself in your own story is going to change. I mean, you're so right. It does change. And people seem to think, I think sometimes people seem to think this change is bad or, or the world is, you know, being pulled out from underneath you. But the thing is, and I struggle with this, that is a natural evolution. So when I write the tone changes, like who I am and, and who the others are in my words change. And sometimes I think I'm going crazy, but 
I think you're right. It's a natural evolution. Your story is bound to change. Mm-hmm. Um, where I once wrote about trauma as a, I guess, a ghost or a spirit that haunted me and scared me, I think it's become a little bit more like that ghost is my friend and we comfort each other, which is crazy that I, I never thought it would be like that. Wow. I mean, that's, that's, that is shadow love. I love to frame shadow work as shadow love because it's this development of love for yourself when you start integrating the shadow and then your ghosts become your friends. That's such a great way to put it. Yeah. And I, I've encouraged people to check out your, your um, shadow journey too. the download. Oh, cool. Thank you. I just like the term too. I, because to me, it ref- I like reframing things. It reframes that I think for people to understand, like, what are we doing here? Those ghosts from your childhood trauma, they travel with you. When yeah. you call them ghosts or shadow, they're a part of you. They're not going anywhere. So what are you going to, you know, how, what are you going to do about it? Denial doesn't work. It ends up popping up in the weirdest, most uncomfortable ways for everyone, for the people you're in relationship with, even for strangers at the grocery store. Sometimes if you lose your shit over, I don't know, like they're out of your favorite such and such or a certain song hits you the wrong way. Totally. Yeah. I've been like on an airplane, just like sobbing into my seat. And the person next to me is like, what's wrong? And I'm like, Oh, my childhood. Ah. <laughs> like you just, Yeah. It's a real thing. How do you address that in the book? Like writing and trauma recovery is a part of your trauma recovery. So my chapter on like healing kind of deals with not simply putting those traumas to rest, but embracing them, looking them in the face, getting to know them, um, seeing how they play into your life now, seeing when they can be kind of put to the side so that you can retain your sanity. But yeah, there's a whole bunch of different practices that I um, offer up that are something to do with writing a letter to your past self or writing a letter to someone else or creating a written a kind of word map of the self that moves through the eras and moments in your life that caused you pain to sort of sit with them and look at all of them and sort of be like I appreciate you I see you and here's what you're doing to make me grow and evolve now so yeah it's heavy on the shadow work there's some shadow astrology so I ask people to kind of look at their signs their sun signs they can also look at any you know any placement in their chart and write from a perspective of like is this limiting me is it holding me back because as a Scorpio it's like oh it's just it's work to not become the I guess dark natured creature that I feel really good being which is the Scorpio jealousy and the Scorpio possession so exploring that through shadow work has been really useful to me. So I hope somebody, I hope that people will embrace that chapter. I think a Scorpio is the perfect person to write that because <laughs> maybe I'm wrong, but I feel that Scorpio is the most feared, vilified, but also like the, it's this strange attractor thing going on too. There's like this gravitational pull and 
there's just a lot of associations with that particular sign that I do not see with other people. And that could be because I have my own long history with Scorpios (laughs) and I have a Scorpio moon, but to me, I, I think there's some special thing going on with Scorpios. I think you're right. I, I actually think, uh, I know that you say you own, you have your own personal relation with Scorpio and I'm a Scorpio, but I see it everywhere. Like I'll just be browsing the internet and the mythos around Scorpio is so intense. It's either they're hated, they're loved, they're somewhere in between that makes people uncomfortable. And Honestly, the Scorpio when unchecked or not evolved is, can be really terrifying and magnetic. And so you're addicted to this like creature that feeds you, but also drains you at the same time. But a Scorpio, when they're deciding to be good, (laughs) I think it'd be really loving and just unafraid of playing in the dark and can take people on that journey with them without like um, destroying them because they like have their darkness in check. Yeah. It's a great, I mean, if, of all the signs, in my opinion, it's like wherever that is in your chart, look at it because it's, to me, it's just an opportunity to play around in the shadows a little bit and find where your intensity lies and your sexuality and yeah. magnetism. I, I don't know. I find it really fascinating I love that Scorpio as an opportunity. That's so beautiful. I will definitely quote you on that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So how did that manifest for you or how has that transformed? The Scorpio placement? Yeah. So yeah, as a son, a Scorpio son, uh, I've got Scorpio in a few other places and Pluto. For me, I mean, I can't imagine being anything but Scorpio. As a child, I was very sort of possessive and jealous and very dark. I liked playing by myself. I liked being bossy. Um, I was very jealous of friends who got gifts I didn't get. As I got older, it played out in like erotic ways. My work was always like immersed in darkness. And I think it swallowed me whole, this... I don't know, combined with being a poet and mythologizing things anyway, I felt like the darkness became um, like a home to me. And I loved being one and one with it. And then I realized at some point it's actually like bleeding me dry. And I have to find a way to shake off this like, you know, sexual, sometimes sexually terrible. Like I was a cheater when I was younger just just this terrible need to control situations. So I really started examining how it was playing out in my life. And I think I've gotten to a really good point with it where now I look at it as power and compassion and using my energy for change rather than using it to destroy everything around me. (laughs) Yeah. And like I said, that generosity of spirit, it's such a cool contrast to saying that you experienced a lot of jealousy when you were younger because you're putting people who would be considered your competitors out there. You're like, look at this person. This person is rad. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's it just, you know, it, I'm not saying I'm perfect. It just got to the point where, you know, those, those making that, keeping that energy in your life of just being mean and nasty serves no one. No one ends up liking you. You end up being exhausted. There's no end goal. 
being jealous of someone doesn't give you anything. You can sit with those feelings and then move on if you need to. That's such a Scorpio thing too, because what do, what do Scorpions do? They will sting you, but ultimately they're killing themselves by doing it. Oh God. Yeah. And it, what's fascinating to me, something that I think you articulated very well, is there's something that I call Scorpio pride. So mm-hmm. there's like a pride in the darkness and sort of like a pride in the, <laughs> I am so evil. That is, that is like a hurdle to overcome because yeah. No, there's something about I I know we're generalizing wildly here and I'm sorry to any Scorpios listening that are like, "I am a total Pollyanna. What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> Just I'm speaking in stereotypes and clichés here cuz it's interesting. Yeah, and it's also fair. I mean, it's like, of course, there's so many layers to every single sun sign and our charts and our traumas and our lives make us who we are. But, um, with the Scorpio, it is true. Like I've never met a Scorpio who would say any of this was not true. Yeah. There is that weird pride. It's like, it's like, yeah, I'm an asshole. Oh, I'm sorry if I wasn't supposed to. uh, You can swear. Oh, okay. Um, like, yeah, I'm an asshole and I'm proud of it. Like, yeah, I'm a bitch. Uh, yes, I, yes. I'm bossy and it's, and you know what? Like, I think that's wonderful. And if you find power in like your own spark, awesome. Just try to like, keep it in check a little bit because there's nothing worse than like a nasty Scorpio defiling the name of Scorpios around the world. Like, mm. you know, try to try to get your power into a good place. Yeah. I think for, for women in particular, but also certain men, there is, there is a bitch phase on your journey that you have to go through to learn how to put like healthy boundaries up and stuff like that to where, you know, the pendulum maybe swings too far in the extreme, you know, but ultimately it settles back down. But I think a lot of us are taught to be very pleasing and to subvert our own needs. And then when you finally get the hang of being like, no, fuck you. Like you maybe go a little bit too far with it, but I think that's, that's a developmental phase that a lot of us move through and ultimately make it out the other end to be like, okay, I I could put some chill on that and it will be okay. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. I would say, I would say about six years ago, I was in that hardcore just, if you bother me phase, I will lash out at you and sting you. And I sometimes can get into it. I'm I'm sure if my boyfriend were listening right now, he'd be like, Oh my God, you're the biggest bitch ever. (laughs) (laughs) I loved your interview with him, by the way, that was great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Basically I just interviewed my own boyfriend for my chronic illness column with uh, ankylosingspondylitis.net, which you can check out for if you have any sort of chronic illness. Yeah. And I interviewed him about how it is to kind of take care of me when I'm going through a flare up. And he was super honest. He was like, you're a huge complainer. You whine a lot. I loved that part. (laughs) It was my favorite part because it's, you know, it's, it just felt real. It just felt real. And it's so important to have those conversations. Thank you for using your power for good because autoimmune conditions, so many people have autoimmune conditions, but they can't really land on a diagnosis. Something's going on with our water and our food and the plastics and the 
yeah. the air pollution, the noise pollution, we're something's happening to us as, as people, like as a collective in which these strange new issues are popping up that we don't even have names for yet. It's all very mysterious. And I think you're doing your part to demystify that, not just for people who are experiencing something like that, but the people who love them. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I'm lucky to be able to write about the things that I care about and know about. And I'm like, I wake up every day, super grateful that I get to do that um, for like money and just that somebody has given me a platform. I never in a million trillion years would have thought that I'd be someone writing about an autoimmune disease. I never ever had a health condition until about 10 years ago. So it's definitely been a weird journey. And now I, I find it brings me so much comfort to write about it. It's so weird. You're right though. Like it seems like everyone's getting sick and I, I would say it's a combination of like hereditary factors and the environment and just like the weird trauma we put ourselves through in society today. Like, yeah, people are disconnected from nature. People are always on the internet. Like that can't be good for the body, even if it is already genetic. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. And I think too, I mean, we're just evolving in our sophistication levels and naming things. So like my son, when he, my son was diagnosed with autism when he was very, very young Mm. and people didn't even know what it was back then. Like literally I had to explain to everybody what autism was. And then there was this whole story around that, that like autism is a new thing, but you can go back through in history and you can see people that clearly had autism we yeah. just didn't, we didn't have a word for it. And I think that's an important thing to mention when we're talking about word magic here. You're so right about that. That must've been very difficult for you having to like describe and advocate and constantly. And, yeah. Yes. It was like, because it was fresh for me. I was like freshly traumatized by it. And then people were so curious and I was just like, okay, so I'm going to ball my face off if you keep asking me about this, but I, I, I love talking about it now. I guess it's similar to you with the autoimmune condition. Once you make peace with it and I think writing is, is part of that, then you share it and it becomes healing for not just yourself, but other people. Yeah, exactly. It's like the words stop being scary and they start being empowering, which is a process. It's not something like you're going to sit down and do one ritual and then all of a sudden everything is wonderful and dandy. It's a process. It's a long process. It's a process of reframing language in your own mind, a process of how you speak to other people publicly and privately, like, and a process of, I, I think, journaling and writing that kind of get you to a place where you can use language for change and reclamation. A hundred percent. To me, writing about something like an autoimmune condition is one of the most powerful reasons to write in the first place. Because like I'll see people, politics is a good place. I'm not going to get into politics. Nobody start sweating. Mm-hmm. But I just want to mentioned that in politics, we scream and yell at each other. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm right. You're wrong. Uh, And it's only through telling a personal story 
that you get to see the world through that person's eyes. So like if you believe, if you're very racist, for example, and for some reason you end up reading a book about a black man's experience in the South and what he's been through, if that writer is talented, if they can bring you into their experience, it creates empathy and an understanding in a way that the ACLU cannot do. And I'm a huge fan of the ACLU, but I just, I'm saying like art is so important and writing is a part of that because it develops empathy along with our language. It's like an an emotional language, an emotional understanding of each other. And we can only do that if we share. Exactly. It does. Yeah. Writing and creating does create empathy. My friend Andy always says that. She says like narrative really does create empathy. It's the only way for humans to connect. And I hope that we'll make more space for more people and more diverse people to tell those stories and create those narratives and share them with the world. Um, And I hope that everyone kind of feels like their voice means something because I feel like they, everyone's story will mean something. I I know a lot of people struggle with like, well, why would I write anything down? I mean, no one's going to care. They are going to care. And it does create empathy and connectivity. And I think that's like the most powerful thing writing does. And if you never want to share your work with anybody, I still think it's powerful. This whole idea of know thyself I often don't know what I think until I see it on the page. I'm like, oh, so that's how I feel about that. <laughs> that's such a good point. Exactly. Yeah, you don't have to share it at all. I mean, I, I'm a, I, I keep a box of letters that I've written to myself and to other people. And sometimes I swear to God, after I've written them, it, sound, it feels like a, a huge shift has happened because it's a spell sort of in itself, whether it's like a binding spell or if you believe in connecting with the other world, maybe it's an other world, sort of tapping into the other world kind of spell to write a letter and push the words beyond the veil. Yeah. And no one ever sees those. No no one will ever see those, but they change me and they change the way I function in this world. Yeah. I'm a big fan of fire. Write it down and then burn it. (laughs) If you're worried, like I think sometimes we stop ourselves from writing because we're afraid someone else will read it. Give yourself permission to burn it immediately afterward. I love that. Something I've been doing that's sort of similar is submerging the paper into water and watching the ink kind of blur away. And watching it transform. That's awesome. Yeah. Maybe because I'm a water sign. Maybe Mm. that's the appeal. (laughs) Yeah. I have something that I call the book of fear. And interestingly, I had a lot of fear around doing it. I had the idea to do it one day. And then I had like this old law of attraction programming. I think there's a lot of superstition in the law of attraction community. And I'm like, if I write it down, I make it get more real. And I knew that was bullshit as I was thinking it, but I certainly thought it. And what I do with the book of fear is if I feel fear, about something specifically, I grab the book and then I write it out. And again, I don't even know what I'm afraid of often until I see it. And it's sometimes in the moment, it brings up a lot of self-compassion. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And then sometimes it's like a week later, I look at it and I'm like, that's terrible. Like if I saw my mom was worried about that or my best friend, I would have so much compassion because it's often other people. 
that so I'm afraid of. Yeah, exactly. That is so beautiful that you have a book of fear. And by the way, I think one of the first episodes I'd ever listened to you uh, dealt with the law, your opinions and feelings on the law of attraction. And I was like, yup, this is the person. The way that you approached it was just so interesting and nuanced and diplomatic and not, not, uh, there's a lot of hokey stuff around the law of attraction. And I just remember thinking this is the most badass person. Oh, thank you. I don't want to victimize people with the law of attraction. That's what I think happens. It like makes you feel like, why, why can't I do this? These people are, (laughs) they look like supermodels and they're talking about how they just made a million dollars this year online. And (laughs) just like, okay, I don't want to do that to people. No, 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 no. Totally. That's, I hear, I see so much of that right now. So it's a much. trend. It's a big trend. It's growing. It's growing. Uh, I just think, I feel like if I think about my mom, who is a sweet woman who doesn't have much money at all and is living alone, and I can imagine her like buying an expensive downloadable law of attraction guide and using it and nothing coming of it from it because it's like just BS and it doesn't really, you know, it's, I just think there's a lot of dangerous language around the way we talk about manifestation and law of attraction. And I think we've got to be like careful to be aware of how it really impacts people in real life. Um, Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Go on a tangent. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. I think, I think it's, um, there are people, I think that know what they're doing yeah. that are, that have that snake oil salesman vibe where they're like, wow, if you tell people what they want to hear, if you make them these wild promises, they'll give you all their money. Awesome. But then I also see a lot of people that are just young and naive and excited about the ideas. And so they start sharing them and then people start giving them money and then they attribute it to the law of attraction. So it's very complex when you start really examining what is going on. Oh, you're so right. I didn't even think about that aspect of it. Yeah, there's a it's, lot. It's interesting. Oh, God, speaking of interesting, time is flying. You are very interesting. I This morning, um, I hang out on Discord in the mornings for something called Morning Coffee with my patrons. And I was in there for, I don't know, 20 minutes this morning. And I mentioned that I was going to talk to you. And I said, does anybody have a question? And two people have questions. Can I ask them of you? Amazing. Yeah, you can ask anything. Okay, so Sarah Jackson wants to know if... She said, I'd love to see or hear about a doable format. I've never done a grimoire because I cannot commit to a format. Mm. Sarah Jackson, thank you for that question. I love this. So maybe my perspective isn't the best, I certainly don't claim to know about the kind of best grimoire format out there. I think it's going to be different for everyone. It has to be different for everyone. There are some people who are meticulous and organized and detailed, and they'll want it to look like a bullet journal. And there are some people that turn to their grimoire every so often to record a dream or to write down a spell or the result of the spell. I, in this book, The Magical Writing Grimoire, I create a new concept called a Grimoire Poetica, which is a place where, yes, you can write down anything you've done with ritual and spell work, but also a place where you can just write to yourself and write poems. So I think the answer would be 
to give yourself a little flexibility to use the grimoire as a place for all of your ideas and thoughts and to come to it when you feel called to it. But if you need a little bit of organization, sometimes I like to write just a page or two during the full moon or during certain, when the moon is in certain signs and I kind of feel a little bit more tapped in. Um, sometimes I'll do like, I'll try to do like a little journaling in my grimoire before bed at night, but sometimes I don't make it. And I think that's totally okay. So I would say dedicate half of your grimoire to just poetry and thoughts and notes. And then the other half to more specific things like ritual outcomes, spells that you'd like to record. I really do think flexibility is the answer. Otherwise I think we can feel a little bit like we failed. Yeah. That's a good answer. I like it. Okay. So Emily Barrett also has a question. She says, if you wouldn't mind asking her, oh, this is to me. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Oh, do you add fail safes to your spells? Like to make sure that you close all the loopholes in a sense. Yeah. So I definitely am a big proponent of intention being the core ingredient of any spell. Um, So I know my intention and I think the universe knows my intention. So because I believe in my intention and because I know it usually means no harm in this way or that way, I believe it gets translated as such from the heart of myself. So I don't have too many fears about being mistranslated or, you know, incorrectly understood Um, because I am kind of secular and I don't really work with a deity or a God or a goddess. So in essence, I'm kind of working with myself or my higher self when I do ritual. Um, But if, if I were to use fail safes, I, try to kind of add just that basic, you know, with harm to none um, phrase, which I think covers everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I'm sorry if that's like a really specific and tricky response. It's just that because I'm mostly working, I think with energy or myself, I kind of trust my own and my own meaning. Um, Yeah. I think that whole, for the good of all, may it harm none, I think that's great. It's a great little thing to add on if you're worried about. There's a, there is a superstition and a fear in the witchcraft community, and some, maybe you'll yell at me for calling it a superstition, but the fear that by asking for $10,000, I'm going to kill my grandma, you know, because that's the only way I can get the $10,000 is for her to die and leave me an inheritance. Like people get very detailed in their fear fantasies around this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I understand that there's a lot of, you know, in the occult, there's a lot of talk of sacrifice and giving something up in order to get something. And I think that's totally worth regarding. Um, But I know if I'm, well, I don't really ask for $10,000, but I know that if I did, um, I know my intention wouldn't be that it would have to come at the death of my grandmother. <laughs> yeah. You know what? For some reason, Napoleon Hill is popping into my head. He wrote that old book, Think and Grow Rich. And oh. the sacrifice is what you're willing to do in exchange for that $10,000. 
So it's, I am writing this book. I am, you know, selling this thing. I am putting this many hours into this project. That's the sacrifice. You're not sacrificing grandma. I love that. I mean, that's, I think that's a better way of looking at it. Like what kind of... I mean, it's the sacrifice of your time because every single thing, every choice you make is a sacrifice of time. You only have a finite amount of time in this life. That's why I think it's so important to know yourself and to get really, really clear on what you value and what's important to you because you're sacrificing all the time, whether you want to do that intentionally or not. That's a very good point. It's always a give and take in life with the universe, the secret, like a secret give and shake, a silent, I mean, give and take. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that though. Give and shake. I'm going to think about that. Give and shake. <laughs> We're going to link, by the way, to, to all the things, all the things, particularly to the book, the magical writing grimoire so people can pre-order that and get their copy right when it comes out in April. Can you tell people your URL just in passing in case they're driving and they want to admit it to memory for the next time they're at a stop sign? Yeah, basically it's, they can visit Lisa Marie Bazile. So that's Lisa Marie B-A-S-I-L-E.com and find me there. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I think both of those places link to my, to my book pre-order. So if you just, if you just go to my website, you'll find everything there. And I also have an Instagram account that I want people to know about. It's called ritual underscore poetica. And it's a place where I put writing prompts and rituals. So it's not my personal account. It's just a place of free rituals and, and uh, writing prompts that people can use. Oh, that's cool. I'll link to that too. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So I hope your answer is wildly different than the answer that you gave in 2017. Mm. I don't even remember what your answer was back then. So who knows? But what is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Oh my goodness. I think that my answer is different. I don't remember what I said, but I feel like I haven't felt this way in a long time. So I think spending 30 minutes every day, I know that's an arbitrary number, but spend 30 minutes every day in silence with yourself and disconnect. Don't touch a phone. Don't touch a computer. Go to a park if you want. Sit with yourself. Be bored. Listen to all those passing thoughts. Be in your body. Breathe. Admire your body because life is so, so, so fast. People die. We lose things. Time flies and just being alive and being present is has been changing my life and giving me a sense of power and control and just honor for oh, what life is. So that's so good. Says the Scorpio, people die. <laughs> it's true. How do you create the cake ass life of your dreams? Just know you're definitely going to die. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm a memento mori person. I find that very inspiring. Thinking about that reminds me to live. Yeah, to live. Just be alive in your body and Yeah, that's really... (laughs) (laughs) This was awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much. I'm super honored. You're, You're one of my very favorite people. I really mean it. And 
I'm so psyched to talk to your listeners. Thank you so much. So that's Lisa. I'm sure that you're all running out to get the magical writing grimoire right this minute, aren't you? Aren't you? Or pre-order it, I should say. There will be links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. And also, I'm still running that special for Shadow Love, which we actually ended up talking about during this interview most unexpectedly which I am always happy to talk about it. But Shadow Love is an audio journey that I offer. And right now there's a special going where you get 40% off that. Follow the link around here, wherever it may be, and put in at checkout Shadow Selfie, all lowercase, no spaces, and it will roll 40% off that thing. It's an awesome, awesome audio journey. If I do say so myself, I made it. So am I allowed to say it's awesome? I think it's awesome. I love it. I love the Shadow Love audio journey. I love Lisa Marie Basile. I'm excited to do the Inner Temple of Witchcraft. If you have any questions, the best place to find me is Twitter. Twitter. If you ever want to grab my attention quickly, that's the best place to grab my attention. So I hope that you enjoyed season one, that you liked my new song. Did you like my new song? I decided to leave behind my old band. I used to use music from Obedient Waves as the opening. And I thought, you know what? Going forward with this show seasonally, I just want the opening to be an expression of who I am now, not who I was a decade ago. So who I am now is hippie witch, hippie witch. Have an amazing rest of your day. Until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.